Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands we record this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, as well as the Wanarua and the Gamilaroi people. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. From Mamma Mia, I'm Gemma Bath. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. It may sound like deja vu, but COVID's back for a fourth wave. And as much as we'd all love to stick our fingers in our ears and close our eyes, the reality is case figures across Australia are on the rise. While case figures are still 85% below the previous peak of late July, average daily cases last week were 47% higher than the week before. The spike has led to Queensland raising its alert level from amber to green, and the push to get up to date with vaccines is getting a renewed gusto. So what do we know about these new variants, and how concerned should we be? Today we answer all your questions about the current COVID wave, and what it could mean for the next few weeks as we count down to Christmas. But first, your news headlines for Monday, November 21. Elon Musk has reinstated Donald Trump's Twitter account after conducting a poll of the platform's users, but it may not ever be used. Musk, who took control of Twitter just weeks ago and who's presided over a chaotic time at the company, firing half the staff with many more leaving of their own accord, was slammed for considering reinstating Trump's Twitter access after he was banned for using it to incite violence against others during the lead-up to the January 6th Capitol building riot. But he conducted a poll of Twitter users which returned a narrow margin in favour of allowing Trump back on the platform. Trump was asked if he would return to using his account, which currently has more than 86 million followers, but says he's happy to stay on his own social media platform because it doesn't have the same level of bots and fake accounts like Twitter does. Heroic clubbers fought off a gunman who allegedly opened fire inside an LGBTQ nightclub in Colorado Springs. Police identified a 22-year-old man who was taken into custody just minutes after he entered the building and opened fire, killing five people and injuring 18 others. He was then confronted by several people inside the venue and detained. Authorities are investigating whether the attack was motivated by hate against the LGBTQI community. Hackers who stole customer information from Medibank have released more medical data onto the dark web. The latest release includes people with chronic conditions like heart disease, diabetes and asthma, as well as those with cancer, dementia and mental health conditions. Medibank has confirmed they've analysed the file, which the hackers titled STD, confirming there were no STD codes and that the common condition on the list was anemia. The AFP have confirmed that the hackers are based in Russia, but the Russian embassy denies this is the case. 
The Russian-controlled Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in Ukraine has been hit by shelling, drawing condemnation from the head of the United Nations nuclear watchdog. Russia and Ukraine are both blaming each other for shelling the facility, an attack which the UN says risks a major nuclear disaster. International Atomic Energy Agency head Rafael Grossi saying this needs to stop immediately and that whoever is behind the attack is playing with fire. Repeated shelling of the plant in southern Ukraine, just 500 kilometres from the world's worst nuclear accident at Chernobyl, has raised concerns about the potential for a grave accident. While the reactors have been shut down, there is still the potential for that nuclear fuel to overheat if the power that drives the cooling system is cut. The project co-host Lisa Wilkinson last night announced she's leaving the show, citing relentless targeted toxicity by sections of the media. Wilkinson praised the team at 10 and thanked those who watched the show, but said the toxicity had taken a toll on her and those she loves. She says she knows she's not above criticism and that she's human and doesn't always get it right, but that she'd hoped her hard work had contributed to stories that matter and that she's helped bring into focus issues that deserve of our collective attention. She ended her announcement by asking Lee Sales, Tracy Grimshaw and Carrie Bickmore out for a drink, all those women having recently announced their resignations from their respective positions. And finally, Qatar has recorded an historic loss at the Soccer World Cup, going down to Ecuador in the first round, the first host nation to ever lose the opening game. That's your latest news headlines in a moment. Today's Deep Dive. As of last week, 58,000 cases of COVID-19 were reported across Australia. That's nearly double the week before, with several states experiencing major spikes. New South Wales recorded 19,800 new cases across seven days. Victorians saw 16,600 new cases. Western Australia saw 8,000. South Australia just under 7,000. Queensland around 5,000 and the ACT and Northern Territory 1,100 and 369, respectively. Given we have moved on from the mandatory reporting of cases and PCR testing, those numbers are also likely significantly underreported. But as Sydney GP Dr Brad Mackay says, it's not really the case numbers themselves we should be focusing on. We're really not going to be getting a great deal of data that's going to be accurate for the number of cases in Australia. But what will be accurate are the people going into hospital and people dying from COVID. So it's hard to fake that. So that's really what we're watching to see how extravagant this next wave will be. We do know COVID hospitalisations have increased by 11% in the past week, with most experts predicting that we're already about midway through this current wave, with a peak expected in early December. New South Wales Chief Health Officer Dr Kerry Chant is confident we'll see those numbers drop down again by the time we tuck into our Christmas lunches. Certainly the wave is is taking off with some trajectory. We believe that it will be quite a steep wave and hopefully the decline will be equally as steep. But there is a sense that the wave may well peak before Christmas um, and we may be on the decline. So what exactly are we dealing with this time round? The variants currently circulating are actually a rich soup of Omicron descendants. Unlike previous waves where a single new variant is responsible, 
This time, we're seeing an explosion of new variants like XBB1, BX11 and BR21. Despite the new names, Associate Professor of Epidemiological Modelling James Wood says these new variants all follow a similar script where the same set of changes have evolved independently across multiple variants in a process called convergent evolution. It means the variants are better at infecting people with immunity from other strains, which is why we're seeing this new wave pop up. Dr Brad says, thankfully, they're not proving as deadly as some of their predecessors. What's the main difference? They'll probably be able to get around vaccinations even a little bit more. What we are finding, though, is that if you've been vaccinated, then the vaccines are still working to prevent people from getting severely unwell. Professor Wood says the absence of big mutational jumps suggests the virus that causes COVID is entering a slower period of continuous evolution. This is good news. It's what we see with seasonal influenza. But we shouldn't become too complacent. Despite the fact this wave isn't as serious and likely won't be as long, our healthcare system is still seeing some very real and very serious ramifications, and our leaders are acting accordingly. Queenslanders are being asked to mask up in healthcare facilities and around older or vulnerable people. Reports on Wednesday stated growing case numbers in the Sunshine State were leading to critical hospital bed shortages, with six Queensland hospitals now in a Tier 3 acute activation state. Queensland's fourth COVID wave has hit, raising the warning level from green to amber. Masks are again recommended in hospitals, on public transport and in vulnerable settings. The predicted peak? Just before Christmas. New South Wales has ruled out new restrictions like mask mandates, but residents are being strongly recommended to wear masks in indoor public spaces, to stay home if they're unwell, and socialise outside if at all possible. We need to learn to live alongside the virus. I want to instil confidence in our people that we can do that. That's as the state battles a cruise ship outbreak. After some 600 of the 800 positive cases on board, the Majestic Princess disembarked in Sydney. Authorities are struggling to determine how that outbreak has impacted the community. With the onus on individuals to register their positive rapid antigen tests in the Service New South Wales app. In Victoria, where 200 of the Majestic Princess positive cases also disembarked, masks are recommended in a number of situations, including if you have symptoms, are immunocompromised or visiting a hospital, aged care home or other high-risk facility. For South Australians, masks are still required in some settings, including all hospitals. Positive cases and close contacts are recommended to wear a mask on public transport and indoors public spaces, while everyone is advised to wear one when physical distancing isn't possible. Western Australia doesn't have any restrictions in place after its state of emergency declaration ended earlier this month. The government is still recommending precautions to combat the virus, and the chief health officer of WA hasn't ruled out reintroducing mask mandates in the future. But in the short term, there aren't any plans to make that decision. The health risk for COVID in Tasmania is currently listed as low to moderate, but COVID-safe precautions are still encouraged. And it's a similar story in the Northern Territory, where masks are still required in some healthcare facilities and physical distancing is recommended. Dr. Brad says there's no denying that we're at a weird stage currently of the pandemic. A lot of restrictions have been taken away. There's a lot less fear in the community because a lot of people have already had COVID and been okay from it. But by no means is the pandemic really over. We certainly have the virus 
in the community and it is causing all sorts of different problems. So from acute illness and ending up in ICU for a lot of our more vulnerable members of the community, but also long COVID is another problem as well. And we don't know who that's going to affect. We know that, yeah, like your chance sort of accumulates the more times you get in COVID, you've got more chance of having health issues the more times you get the infection. So even if it was fine, it's not a reason to go out and get it at this point. Let's get back to vaccines for a sec. Australians over the age of 65 have been eligible for a second COVID-19 booster since May, with that expanding in July to include over 30s. While uptake of fourth doses among the over 75s is close to 80%, Department of Health data shows just 38% of those aged 50 to 64 are up to date. Only 16% of 30 to 49-year-olds have had four shots, and more than half of young people are yet to even receive their recommended three doses. Dr Brad says keeping on top of your vaccinations is still the number one way to protect yourself against COVID. Australian health authorities are currently recommending against a fifth vaccine shot unless you're severely immunocompromised, even as cases grow. The government is sort of saying, well, look, there are diminishing returns from keeping on being vaccinated. So if you're already up to date with your fourth vaccine and you're diligent and wanting to protect yourself as much as possible, then, yeah, like we would have less benefit in the population from giving you a fifth dose compared to just sort of encouraging everybody to get their third dose. So there's really a push on at the moment for that third dose or fourth dose. And that's really where the money's lying. That's going to give the best benefit if those people who have been a little bit reluctant to be vaccinated, if they are vaccinated. So it's more to do with other people. It doesn't have anything to do with what a fifth dose would do to your body, so to speak. It's not dangerous at all. So um, you can get side effects from the vaccine, of course. But yeah, like it's not going to harm your immune system. It's not too many vaccines. I think a lot of people think, oh my God, my immune system's going to get overwhelmed if I have a fifth vaccine. But yeah, certainly that's not how your immune system works. Your immune system learns from the vaccine that's put into it. So it's not harmful. The case here is that you're just getting diminishing returns. So do we want to spend millions or billions of dollars only you're sort of improving the health of the population by a percentage or two points. So we're trying to get the low-lying fruit, and that is for the people who are still not up to date with their previous vaccines. How concerned are you as a doctor about this current COVID wave we're seeing? I am seeing a number of patients getting infected with COVID. So um, working as a GP, we start to have a few phone calls from people who are panicked at home. I do get quite worried about my patients who are immunocompromised, particularly my patients who are over 70 years of age, because, yeah, they're going to be more vulnerable than the next person. So, yeah, any rise in the numbers, I get a little bit edgy. I take public transport to work as well, and I'm just not seeing that many people wearing masks on the trains or the buses. And I think there was a bit of a push to have people like put their masks back on in different areas of the country because we're wanting to slow down that spread if we can sort of like, yeah, stop that wave from being as high a peak as what it could be. Then that's what we all should be doing as a community at this point of time. So if you're in, say, New South Wales or Queensland, which are seeing those spikes, you think we should be wearing masks more regularly out in public, not just maybe on public transport, but shopping centres? Like, Where would you advise that we wear one? Basically indoors. Like, If you're in a, an indoor area and there's a lack of ventilation, there's not too much airflow, then it would be important to wear a mask. So I wear a mask whenever I go on public transport and often I'm the only person wearing a mask 
on board. I was keeping in mind that if anyone was going to harass me and say, oh, why are you wearing a mask? Like, isn't COVID over? I can just turn to them and say, well, I don't want you to get COVID. That would be enough to freak somebody else out. So that's a good response. But uh, yeah, like the whole thing is that we are trying to protect ourselves from getting COVID, but we're also trying to protect other people. And, and you really don't know if you've got it or not. So a lot of people are asymptomatic, but they're still able to spread it to other people. Even if they don't have a cough or a runny nose, they can still be harboring the virus in their system. If you're recommending we see masks pop back up more regularly, do you think we should or could see a return to some of those other restrictions like lockdowns or border closures if these numbers continue to rise? I don't think so. Um, I really don't think that we'll be seeing lockdowns as such. We may see some businesses or schools needing to close if they just don't have staff to manage them. So that is a problem when everyone's sort of like vulnerable to getting a virus and it sort of spreads quickly through a community. So that's really what we'll be seeing. But having to sort of isolate the community and go back indoors, that's not what we're looking at at the moment. So we would have to see a major change in the virus where it would become a lot more horrible and cause a lot more illness and sickness in the community for lockdowns to come back into place. But at the moment, we're seeing small tweaks with the virus, so small changes to Omicron. So, yeah, for the moment, unless the virus does something really weird, which it has done in the past, yeah, like we're sort of not expecting to go back into lockdown. As we prepare to enter year four of COVID, we're starting to see the more long-term impacts of the virus with new modelling suggesting half a million Australians could experience long COVID, with 110,000 of that number suffering from significant impacts. Doctors last month told a federal parliamentary inquiry that long COVID clinics across the country were being inundated with requests and wait lists are increasing, with experts calling on the federal government to increase data gathering and surveillance as well as support for those caring for patients. Dr Brad says repeatedly catching the virus is one of the preventative measures you can take. Yeah, every time you get COVID, you've got a little bit more chance of having a blood clot, a heart attack later on down the track, a stroke, and also long COVID as well. So there are all of these other associated health complaints that go along with COVID. So yeah, like it could be easy to get through. It could have felt like a cold previously, but yeah, every time that you get it can be a little bit different. And is there any way to prevent ourselves from getting long COVID if we have had COVID? The main thing that we're finding is that if you're up to date with your vaccines, that's really going to be the best way to stop yourself from getting long COVID. So it's not a guarantee. Of course, some people will get it otherwise. But once you've got COVID, we don't have any sort of like major treatments for it. Like There are some clinics that are popping up around Australia at the moment, so long COVID clinics. We're starting to get some data, but we really don't know how many people are affected by long COVID at the moment. But we're sort of doing a lot of research in the background to work out what's going to work for people, what would be a good cure for COVID, for long COVID. And we still have a lot of questions in that area at this point of time. Even though this fourth wave is proving to be a slightly less scary one and it's not likely to mess with Australians' Christmas plans again, the threat of COVID is still alive and well. In fact, this current reality we're seeing of the virus rising and falling in prevalence is likely to follow us into 2023. I would be predicting that we're going to see more tweaking of Omicron. That seems to be the predominant virus that's around the world. 
I would suggest that, yeah, like it's not going to change too much as we go into 2023. The vaccines will still be helpful at preventing people from going into hospital. We're very likely to see more waves occurring. But the question is, yeah, will we see another variant that's very different to what we're seeing at the moment? That's the quickie for today. This episode was produced by myself, Gemma Bath, with Emma Gillespie. The executive producer of The Quickie is Liv Proud. Audio production is by Tom Lyon.